0: Chapter Twelve of the Fixed Period. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shi Pingning. The Fixed Period by Anthony Trollop. Chapter Twelve. Our voyage to England. The boat had gone ashore and returned before the john bright had steamed out of the harbour then everything seemed to change and captain Battleaxe bade me make myself quite at home he trusted he said that i should always dine with him during the voyage but that i should be left undisturbed during all other periods of the day he dined at seven o'clock but i could give my own orders as to breakfast and tiffin he was sure that Lieutenant Crosstrees would have pleasure in showing me my cabins, and that if there was anything on board which I did not feel to be comfortable, it should be at once altered. Lieutenant Crosstrees would tell my servant to wait upon me and would show me all the comforts and discomforts of the vessel. with that, I left him and was taken below under the guidance of the Lieutenant as mr Crosstrees became my personal friend during the voyage more peculiarly than any of the other officers all of whom were my friends i will give some short description of him he was a young man perhaps eight and twenty years old whose great gift in the eyes of all those on board was his personal courage stories were told to me by the junior officers of marvellous things which he had done which though never mentioned in his own presence either by himself or by others seems to constitute for him a special character so that had it been necessary that any one should jump overboard to attack a shark all on board would have thought that the duty as a matter of course belonged to lieutenant Crosstrees. indeed as i learned afterwards he had quite a peculiar name in the british navy he was a small fair-haired man with a pallid face and a bright eye whose idiosyncrasy it was to conceive that life afloat was infinitely superior in all its attributes to life on shore if there ever was a man entirely devoted to his profession it was lieutenant crosstrees for women he seemed to care nothing nor for bishops nor for judges nor for members of parliament there were all as children skipping about the world in their foolish playful ignorance whom it was the sailor's duty to protect next to the sailor came the soldier as having some kindred employment but at a very long interval among sailors the british sailor that is, the British fighting sailor was the only one really worthy of honor. And among British sailors, the officers on board His Majesty's gunboat, the John Bright, were the happy few who had climbed to the top of the tree. Captain Battleaxe he regarded as the Sultan of the world. But he was the Sultan's vizier, and having the discipline of the ship altogether in his own hands, was to my thinking its very master i should have said beforehand that a man of such sentiments and feelings was not at all to my taste everything that he loved i have always hated and all that he despised i have revered nevertheless i became very fond of him and found in him an opponent to the fixed period that has done more to shake my opinion than Cressweller with all his feelings or sir ferdinando with all his arguments and this he effected by a few curt words which i have found almost impossible to resist come this way mr president he said here is where you are to sleep and considering that it is only a ship i think you will find that it fairly comfortable anything more luxurious than the place assigned to me i could not have imagined on board ship i afterwards learned that the cabins had been designed for the use of a travelling admiral and i gathered from the fact that they were allotted to me an idea that england intended to atone for the injury done to the country by personal respect shown to the late president of the republic i at any rate shall be comfortable while i am here that in itself is something nevertheless i have to feel that i am a prisoner "'Not more so than anybody else on board,' said the lieutenant. "'A guard of soldiers came up this morning to look after me. "'What would that guard of soldiers have done supposing that I had run away?' "'We should have had to wait till they had caught you, "'but nobody conceived that to be possible. "'The president of a republic never runs away in his own person.' "'There will be a cup of tea in the officer's mass room at five o'clock. "'I will leave you till then, as you may wish to employ yourself.' "'I went up immediately afterwards on deck, "'and looking back over the taffrail, "'could only just see the glittering spires of Glastonopolis in the distance. "'Now was the time for thought. "'I found an easy seat on the stern of the vessel, and set myself down to consider all that crasweller had said to me he and i had parted perhaps for ever i had not been in england since i was a little child and i could not but feel now that i might be detained there by circumstances or die there or that crasweller who was ten years my senior might be dead before i should have come back and yet no ordinary farewell had been spoken between us in those last words of his he had confined himself to the fixed period so full had his heart been of the subject and so intent had he felt himself to be on convincing me and what was the upshot of what he had said not that the doctrine of the fixed period was in itself wrong but that it was impracticable because of the horrors attending its last moments There were the solitude in which should be passed the one last year, the sight of things which would remind the old man of coming death, and a general feeling that the business and pleasures of life were over, and that the stillness of the grave had been commenced. To this was to be added a certainty that death would come on some prearranged day. These all referred manifestly to the condition of him who was to go, and in no degree affected the welfare of those who were to remain he had not attempted to say that for the benefit of the world at large the system was a bad system that these evils would have befallen crasweller himself there could be no doubt though a dozen companions might have visited him daily he would have felt the college to be a solitude because he would not have been allowed to choose his promiscuous comrades as in the outer world but custom would no doubt produce a cure for that evil when a man knew that it was to be so the dozen visitors would suffice for him the young man of thirty travels over all the world but the old man of seventy is contented with the comparative confinement of his own town or perhaps of his own house as to the ghastliness of things to be seen they could no doubt be removed out of sight but even that would be cured by custom the business and pleasures of life at the prescribed time were in general but a pretence at business and a reminiscence of pleasure the man would know that the fated day was coming and would prepare for it with infinitely less of the anxious pain of uncertainty than in the outer world the fact that death must come at a settled day would no doubt have his horror as long as the man were able habitually to contrast his position with that of the few favored ones who had within his own memory lived happily to a more advanced age but when the time should come that no such old man had so existed i could not but think that a frame of mine would be created not indisposed to contentment sitting there and turning it all over in my mind while my eyes rested on the bright expanse of the glass-clear sea i did perceive that the fixed period with all its advantages was of such a nature that it must necessarily be postponed to an age prepared for it Crasweller's eloquence had had that effect upon me i did see that it would be impossible to induce in the present generation a feeling of satisfaction in the system i should have declared that it would not commence but with those who were at present unborn or indeed to allay the natural fears of mothers not with those who should be born for the next dozen years it might have been well to postpone it for another century i admitted so much to myself with the full understanding that a theory delayed so long must be endangered by its own postponement how was i to answer for the zeal of those who were to come so long after me i sometimes thought of a more immediate date in which i myself might be the first to be deposited and that I might thus be allowed to set an example of a happy final year passed within the college. But then how far would the tallow-waxes and barnnesses and exors of the day be led by my example? I must, on my arrival in England, remodel altogether the fixed period, and name a day so far removed that even Jack's children would not be able to see it it was with sad grief of heart that I so determined. All my dreams of a personal ambition were at once shivered to the ground. Nothing would remain of me but the name of the man who had caused the Republic of Britannula to be destroyed, and her government to be resumed by her old mistress. I must go to work, and with pen, ink, and paper, with long-written arguments and studied logic, endeavoured to prove to mankind that the world should not allow itself to endure the indignities and weakness and selfish misery of extreme old age. I confess that my belief in the efficacy of spoken words, of words running like an electric spark from the lips of the speaker right into the heart of him who heard them, was stronger far than my trust in written arguments they must lack a warmth which the others possessed and they enter only on the minds of the studious whereas the others touch the feelings of the world at large i had already overcome in the breasts of many listeners the difficulties which i now myself experienced i would again attempt to do so with a british audience i would again enlarge on the meanness of the man who could not make so small a sacrifice of his latter years for the benefit of the rising generation but even spoken words would come cold to me and would fall unnoticed on the hearts of others when it was felt that the doctrine advocated could not possibly affect any living man thinking of all this i was very melancholy when i was summoned down to tea by one of the stewards who attended the officer's mass mr president will you take tea coffee coca chocolate or preserved dates there are muffins and crumpets dry toast butter toast plum cake sea cake peach fritters apple marmalade and bread and butter there are put up fruits of all kinds of which you really wouldn't know that they hadn't come this moment from graperies and orchard houses but we don't put them on the table because we think that we can eat quite so much dinner after them this was the invitation which came from a young naval lad who seemed to be about fifteen years old hold your tongue percy said an elder officer the fruits are not here because lord alfred gorged himself so tremendously that we were afraid his mother the duchess would withdraw him from the service when she heard that he had made himself sick there are curazol chartreuse, pepperwick, mangostino and russian brandy on the sideboard suggested a third i shall have a glass of madeira just a thimbleful said another who seemed to be a few years older than lord alfred percy then one of the stewards brought the madeira which the young man drank with great satisfaction this wine has been seven times round the world he said and the only time for drinking it is five o'clock tea that is if you understand what good living means i asked simply for a cup of tea which i found to be peculiarly good partly because of the cream which accompanied it i then went upstairs to take a constitutional walk with mr Crosstrees on the deck i saw you sitting there for a couple of hours very thoughtful said he and i wouldn't disturb you i hope it doesn't make you unhappy that you are carried away to england Had it done so, I don't know whether I should have gone-alive. They said that when it was suggested you promised to be ready in two days. I did say so, because it suited me, but I can hardly imagine that they would have carried me on board with violence, or that they would have put all Glastonopolis to the sword because I declined to go on board. Brown had told us that we were to bring you off dead or alive and dead or alive i think we should have had you if the soldiers had not succeeded the sailors would have taken you in hand when i asked him why there was this great necessity for kidnapping me he assured me that feeling in england had run very high on the matter and that sundry bishops had declared that anything so barbarous could not be permitted in the twentieth century it would be as bad they said as the cannibals of new zealand that shows the absolute ignorance of the bishops on the subject i dare say but there is a prejudice about killing an old man or a woman young men don't matter allow me to assure you mr crosstrees said i that your sentiment is carrying you far away from reason to the state the life of a woman should be just the same as that of a man the state cannot allow itself to indulge in romance you get a sailor and tell him to strike a woman and see what he'll say the sailor is irrational of course we are supposing that it is for the public benefit that the woman should be struck it is the same with an old man the good of the commonwealth and his own requires that beyond a certain age he shall not be allowed to exist he does not work and he cannot enjoy living he wastes more than his share of the necessaries of life and becomes on the aggregate an intolerable burden read shakespeare's description of man in his last stage second childishness and mere oblivion song teeth Song eyes, song taste, song everything. And the stage before is merely that of the lean and slippered pantaloon. For his own sake, would you not save mankind from having to encounter such miseries as these? You can't do it, Mr. President. I very nearly did do it. The Britannulous Assembly in the majesty of his wisdom pass a law to that effect i was sorry afterwards that i had spoken of the majesty of the assembly's wisdom because it savoured of bonecum our assembly's wisdom was not particularly majestic but i had intended to allude to the presumed majesty attached to the highest council in the state your assembly in the majesty of its wisdom could do nothing of the kind it might pass a law but the law could be carried out only by men the parliament in england which is i take it quite as majestic as the assembly in britannula i apologize for the word mr Crosstrees, which savors of the ridiculous i did not quite explain my idea at the moment it is forgotten he said and I must acknowledge that he never used the word against me again. The Parliament in England might order a three-months-old baby to be slain, but could not possibly get the deed done. Not if it were for the welfare of Great Britain, not to save Great Britain from destruction. Strength is very strong, but it is not half so powerful as weakness i could with the greatest alacrity in the world fire that big gun in among battalions of armed men so as to scatter them all to the winds. but i could not point it in the direction of a single girl we went on discussing the matter at considerable length and his convictions were quite as strong as mine he was sure that under no circumstances would an old man ever be deprived of his life under the fixed period i was as confident as he on the other side or at any rate pretended to be so and told him that he made no allowance for the progressive wisdom of mankind but we parted as friends and soon after went to dinner i was astonished to find how very little the captain had to do with his officers on board ship he lived nearly alone having his first lieutenant with him for a quarter of an hour every morning on the occasion of this my first day on board he had a dinner-party in honour of my coming among them and two or three days before we reached england he had another i dined with him regularly every day except twice when i was invited to the officer's mess. i breakfasted alone in my own cabin where everything was provided for me that i could desire and always lunched and took five o'clock tea with the officers i remained alone till one o'clock and spent four hours every morning during our entire journey in composing this volume as it is now printed i have put it into the shape of a story because i think that i may so best depict the feelings of the people around me as i made my great endeavour to carry out the fixed period in britannula and because i may so describe the kind of opposition which was shown by the expression of those sentiments on which lieutenant cross depended i do not at this minute doubt but that Crossweller would have been deposited had not the john bright appeared whether barnes and tallowax would have followed peacefully may be doubted they however are not men of great weight in britannula and the officers of the law might possibly have constrained them to have followed the example which cressweller had set but i do confess that i doubt whether i should have been able to proceed to carry out the arrangements for the final departure of cressweller looking forward i could see eva kneeling at my feet and could acknowledge the invincible strength of that witness to which Crosstrees had alluded a godlike heroism would have been demanded a heroism which must have submitted to have been called brutal and of such i knew myself not to be the owner had the british parliament ordered the three months old baby to be slaughtered i was not the man to slaughter it even though i were the sworn servant of the british parliament upon the whole i was glad that the john bright had come into our waters and had taken me away on its return to England. It was a way out of my immediate trouble, against which I was able to expostulate, and to show with some truth on my side that I was an injured man. All this I am willing to admit in the form of a tale which I had adopted for my present work, and for which I may hope to obtain some popularity in England once on shore there i shall go to work on a volume of altogether a different nature and endeavour to be argumentative and statistical as i have here been fanciful though true to details during the whole course of my journey to england captain battleaxe never said a word to me about the fixed period he was no doubt a gallant officer and possessed of all necessary gifts for the management of a 250-ton steam-swivel gun, but he seemed to me to be somewhat heavy. He never even in conversation alluded to Britannula, and spoke always of the dockyard at Devonport as though I had been familiar with every corner. He was very particular about his clothes, and I was told by Lieutenant Crosstrees on the first day that he would resent it as a bitter offence had I come down to dinner without a white cravat. He's right, you know; those things do tell. Crosstrees had said to me when I had attempted to be jocose about these punctilios. I took care, however, always to put on a white cravat both with the captain and with the officers. After dinner with the captain a cup of coffee was always brought in on a silver tray in a silver coffee-pot this was leisurely consumed and then as i soon understood the captain expected that i should depart i learnt afterwards that he immediately put his feet up on the sofa and slept for the remainder of the evening i retired to the lieutenant's cabin and there discussed the whole history of britannula over many a prolonged cigar did you really mean to kill the old man said lord alfred percy to me one day regularly to cut their throats you know and carry them out and burn them i did not mean it but the law did every poor old fellow would have been put an end to without the slightest mercy not without mercy i rejoined now there's my governor's father said lord alfred you know who he is the duke of northumberland i'm informed he's a terrible swell he owns three castles and half a county and has half a million a year i can hardly tell you what sort of an old fellow he is at home there isn't any one who doesn't pay him the most profound respect and he is always doing good to everybody do you mean to say that some constable or cremator some sort of 1st hangman? would have come to him and taken him by the nape of his neck and cut his throat just because he was sixty-eight years old i can't believe that anybody would have done it but the duke is a man yes he is a man no doubt if he committed murder he would be hanged in spite of his dukedom i don't know how that would be said lord alfred hesitating I cannot imagine that my grandfather should commit a murder. But he would be hanged. I can tell you that. Though it be very improbable, impossible as you and I may think it, the law is the same for him as for others. Why should not all other laws be the same also? But it would be murder. What is your idea of murder? Killing people. Then you are murderers who go about with this great gun of yours for the sake of killing many people we have never killed anybody with it yet you are not the less murderers if you have the intent to murder are soldiers murderers who killed other soldiers in battle the murderer is the man who illegally kills now in accordance with us everything would have been done legally And I'm afraid that if your grandfather were living among us, he would have to be deposited like the rest. Not if Sir Ferdinando were there, said the boy. I could not go on to explain to him that he thus ran away from his old argument about the Duke. But I did feel that a new difficulty would arise from the extreme veneration paid to certain characters. In England, how would it be with the royal family? would it be necessary to exempt them down to the extremest cousins and if so how large a body of cousins would be generated i fear that the fixed period could only be good for a republic in which there were no classes violently distinguished from their inferior brethren if so it might be well that i should go to the united states and there begin to teach my doctrine no other republic would be strong enough to stand against those hydra-headed prejudices with which the ignorance of the world at large is fortified i don't believe continued the boy bringing the conversation to an end that all the men in this ship could take my grandfather and kill him in cold blood i was somewhat annoyed on my way to england by finding that the men on board the sailors the stokers the stewards regarded me as a most cruel person. The prejudices of people of this class are so strong as to be absolutely invincible. It is necessary that a new race should come up before the prejudices are eradicated. They were civil enough in their demeanour to me personally, but they had all been taught that I was devoted to the slaughter of old men, and they regarded me with all that horror which the modern nations have entertained for cannibalism i heard a whisper one day between two of the stewards he'd have killed that old fellow that came on board as short as eggs if we hadn't got there just in time to prevent him not with his own hands said a listening junior yes with his own hands that was just the thing he wouldn't allow it to be done by anybody else it was thus that they regarded a sacrifice that i had thought to make of my own feelings in regard to cressweller i had no doubt suggested that i myself would use the lancet in order to save him from any less friendly touch i believed afterwards that when the time had come i should have found myself incapacitated for the operation the natural weakness incidental to my feelings would have prevailed, but now that promise, once so painfully made, and since that, as I had thought forgotten by all but myself, was remembered against me as a proof of the diabolical inhumanity of my disposition. I believe that they think that we mean to eat them. I said one day to Crosstrees, he had gradually become my confidential friend and to him i made known all the sorrows which fell upon me during the voyage from the ignorance of the men around me i cannot boast that i had in the least affected his opinion by my arguments but he at any rate had sense enough to perceive that i was not a bloody-minded cannibal but one actuated by a true feeling of philanthropy he knew that my object was to do good though he did not believe in the good to be done you've got to endure that said he do you mean to say that when i get to england i shall be regarded with personal feelings of the same kind yes so i imagine there was an honesty about cross which would never allow him to soften anything that will be hard to bear the first reformers had to bear such hardships i don't exactly remember what it was that socrates wanted to do for his ungrateful fellow-mortals but they thought so badly of him that they made him swallow poison your galileo had a hard time when he said that the sun stood still why should we go further than jesus christ for an example if you are not able to bear the incidents you should not undertake the business but in england i should not have a single disciple there would not be one to solace or to encourage me would it not be well that i should throw myself into the ocean and have done with a world so ungrateful in britannula they had known my true disposition there i had received the credit due to a tender heart and loving feelings no one thought there that i wanted to eat up my victims or that i would take a pleasure in spilling their blood with my own hands and tidings so misrepresenting me would have reached england before me and i should there have no friend even lieutenant Crosstrees would be seen no more after i had gone ashore then came upon me for the first time an idea that i was not wanted in england at all that i was simply to be brought away from my own home to avoid the supposed mischief i might do there and that for all british purposes it would be well that i should be dropped into the sea or left ashore on some desert island i had been taken from the place where as governing officer i had undoubtedly been of use and now could be of use no longer nobody in england would want me or would care for me and i should be utterly friendless there and alone for aught i knew they might put me in prison and keep me there so as to be sure that i should not return to my own people if i asked for my liberty i might be told that because of my bloodthirstiness it would be for the general welfare that i should be deprived of it when sir ferdinando brown had told me that i should certainly be asked down to windsor i had taken his flowery promises as being worth nothing i had no wish to go to windsor but what should i do with myself immediately on my arrival would it not be best to return at once to my own country if only i might be allowed to do so all this made me very melancholy but especially the feeling that i should be regarded by all around as a monster of cruelty I could not but think of the words which Lieutenant Crosstrees had spoken to me. The Saviour of the world had his disciples who believed in him, and the one dear youth who loved him so well. I almost doubted my own energy as a teacher of progress to carry me through the misery which I saw in store for me. I should not have a very bright time when I arrived in England. I said to my friend Crosstrees two days before our expected arrival it will be all new and there will be plenty for you to see you will go upon some other voyage yes we shall be wanted up in the baltic at once we are very good friends with russia but no dog is really respected in this world unless he shows that he can bite as well as bark i shall not be respected because i can neither bark nor bite what would they do with me we shall put you on shore at plymouth and send you up to london with a guard of honour and what will the guard of honour do with me ah for that i cannot answer he will treat you with all kind of respect no doubt it has not occurred to you to think said i where he will deposit me why should it do so but to me the question is one of some moment no one there will want me nobody knows me they to whom i must be the cause of some little trouble will simply wish me out of the way and the world at large if it hears of me at all will simply have been informed of my cruelty and malignity i do not mean to destroy myself don't do that said the lieutenant in a piteous tone but it would be best would it not that certain scruples prevent one What would you advise me to do with myself to begin with? He paused before he replied and looked painfully into my face. You will excuse my asking you, because little as my acquaintance is with you, it is with you alone of all Englishmen that I have any acquaintance. I thought that you were intent about your book. What shall I do with my book? Who will publish it? How shall I create an interest for it? Is there one who will believe at any rate that I believe in the fixed spirit? I do, said the lieutenant. That is because you first knew me in Britannula, and have since passed a month with me at sea. You are my one and only friend, and you are about to leave me, and you also disbelieve in me. You must acknowledge to yourself that you have never known one whose position in the world was more piteous or whose difficulties were more trying. Then I left him and went down to complete my manuscript. End of chapter 12 Recording by Shi Ping Lin. End of the Fixed Period by Anthony Trollope